Welcome to One Man's Opinion, brought to you by the Elite Fantasy, Fantasy Guru, and EliteSportsBetting.com. And now, here's your host, Jeff Manns. All right, welcome in, everybody. Another episode of the podcast that's sweeping the nation. Although we're not, we're in season two, midway through, actually. We're like working towards the middle. Episode 65, One Man's Opinion. Welcome to it, everybody. Thank you so much for uh, actively seeking us out. I mean, it's podcast form, however you've done it, whether it be iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play or Tuned In or anywhere else you find your favorite podcast. Thank you for making us uh, your choice. In that, uh, this is episode 65. I am Jeff Manns. Uh, you could find my work if you're just stumbling in. Welcome to it, everybody. Thank you. Once again, uh, always looking for commentary, feedback, topics, uh, things that you want me to discuss. And remember, this show belongs to each and every one of you. Everybody who supports the podcast, supports the efforts that we're doing, and uh, supports me. And if you, you like my work and you want to hear me talk about different topics that you're more interested in, I'm here for you uh, as well. So I'm Jeff Mans. by the way. You find me over at FantasyGuru.com. My 2021 fantasy football rankings and projections are available. NFL draft post-commentary, prospect breakdown, player profiles, the draft guide. It's just a couple weeks away, everybody. Pumped up about that as well. Get there. FantasyGuru.com. Join us. It's just one easy payment for the entire year draft guide preseason postseason regular season it's all included in one tidy package elitefantasy.com for all your daily fantasy sports needs come and get in be part of the elite mafia the winning never stops cash games gpp lineup optimizer coaching sessions will make you a better daily fantasy player over there at elitefantasy.com and of course elite sports betting.com as well you can follow me on social media at jeff underscore mans m-a-n-s on twitter the jeff mans all one word on facebook instagram snapchat and tiktok all right folks today in this episode the nfl schedule just came out for 2021 the regular season schedule i know my bears take on the rams in week number one we play on thanksgiving day against the lions as well can't wait to see justin fields in a bears uniform we've got the cowboys and buccaneers kicking us off on that thursday night for week number one 18 week schedule I will go over the whole damn schedule with you. That is not what we're doing today. I've been very football intensive over the last few weeks. I'm going to take a little bit of a break from that. Again, uh, you can always reach out on that commentary. If you want me to talk about the NFL and uh, get into we'll be heavy football from now on through the rest of the year. We'll go back. We got some baseball topics I want to hit too. But So today it was a um, sort of impromptu I didn't anticipate the topic of today, but it sort of sprung up on me out of nowhere for this week. Today, I'm going to talk about my mom, Janine Manns, uh, talk about her legacy. I did a podcast about my dad and the impact he had on my life uh, back in, uh, what was it, March of last year? I think it was uh, episode eight overall, my old man. Go back and listen to that. Uh, you know, and And I think it's time to give... My mom, some love on this show. We just passed Mother's Day. I'm recording this just a couple of days past Mother's Day. It was a surprisingly rough Mother's Day for me this year. 
Uh, I don't know exactly why. You know, both my parents are deceased, so they've both passed on. Uh, my mom passed away actually 10 years ago. I think it's the 10-year anniversary. Something about it, I, I don't know what, right? I, I don't know what it is or what it was this particular year um, that that just, you know, it, it made me sad. I got upset. I was missing her quite a bit. I actually had a, a dream in which I was caring for my mother. And I'll tell you the story. Uh, there's a lot to learn. This is not just, I, I don't, I wouldn't just do this to wax poetically uh, on, oh, my family, they're so great. Now we, we have a lot of problems in my family. We've had a lot of problems. We continue to have a lot of problems. Uh, I am an unfinished product, as you all know, anybody listens to this show. And I think there's a lot to gain, not just from this, but maybe relationships you guys have in the past. I, I'm not going to do topics like this because just for the fuck of it, right? I, I, I'm going to have a point. I, I, there's a lot to it. And I think you'll, it'll help you better understand me. It'll also talk a lot of sports. My mom was a big, huge sports fan and her impact on my life. And you could see it as I start you know, going through. You'll start to see, oh, shit, that's where he gets that. That's why he's like that or what have you. But so my mom passed away 10 years ago. Um, you know, just I'll start. I started at SiriusXM back in late 2010, early 2011. Uh, my mom loves sports radio. I grew up on sports radio. My mom drove a school bus when I was growing up, right? And it's that's all we listened to. We listened to the radio. And when, like, oh, 1992, the score, WSCR, in Chicago came out. I mean, that was just my mom's calling card. She would listen literally all day legitimately that station it used to be on 8 20 a.m and you would it would go live at like 8 a.m and then go dark at 5 p.m like legitimately it, it was a station that wasn't even on all the time sports radio was not a thing in the late 80s early 90s then new yorkers you know wfan you guys had that that was sort of the precursor to the rest of the world um but my mom, my mom loved it. And I grew up on, I grew up listening to uh, Bob Collins, oh, for, Wally Phillips first morning show on WGN radio, Bob Collins. Then we you know, branched out again. Um, at overnight, dude, I remember fucking Sally, Jesse Raphael being on overnight shows and my mom would be playing that. She never went anywhere without her transistor radio ever. She just never went anywhere. And when she drove a school bus, she had her transistor radio on all the time. So that's just what I grew up on, right? And I, when I went to school and college, I never thought, I've never even, I never considered being on the radio. I always thought like it would be cool, but I never thought it was something I would do. I didn't really want to do it at, you know, back in the day, like growing up, it was never, I'm going to be on the radio. No, never. You know, it's one of those weird things. I didn't think it was possible for one. I did want to be a writer and I did want to be a sports writer. And I went to school for journalism before switching to computer science. I've talked about that many times on this podcast. So, you know, that was sort of my upbringing, but you know, I got, when I started doing podcasts uh, back in the late 2000s, 2008, 2007, 2008, 2009, uh, I, I was sort of a natural in that I had the timing down. I understood, you know, that broadcasting was a, a thing. You had to broadcast. It's not just like, 
yeah, I'm just not turning on. You, know, you guys, I'm sure, are frequent podcasters. And if you like this show, chances are you like that. You don't want people to sit there and talk. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, if I wasn't broadcasting right now, I'd probably talk like this and I'd probably say, you know, I love my mother and she was a very nice person and it was very nice to people. That, that, I don't get that. Like, I don't understand. So I had a natural ability and it was picked up and, you know, again, 11 years at Sirius XM and being, um, fuck it, I'll tell you, the highest rated show on the platform for many, many, many years. What uh, You know, it, it was a natural thing for me. And I learned that from my mom. I learned that because of her, because I, I study at the altar of radio in, sh in Chicago local radio back in those days. So in 2011, uh, I had my own show. We had the weekend show, me and Ryan Hallam. Uh, we were hosting the Fantasy Alarm show back in those days. And I was uh, we, we Saturdays and Sundays and didn't get paid anything. And we were a baseball tryout fill-in show. That's all it was. They made no promises and all that shit. I've told the stories before uh, in previous episodes, but you know, there was a day in May. We started in like, we did a couple in December and then January, February did a little bit. And then we started getting regular weekend shifts in March and April. And then as May came around in 2011, I thought, you know, how, how cool to bring this full circle, have my mom. Now at that point, you know, my my father had passed away back in 1999. It's been like a decade, a little over a decade, uh, him too. My mom had started, like she had osteosporosis really bad, the bone disease that hunches your back over, real brittle bone disease. And she was, you know, had lost so much height. She was at once 5'8". You know, she shrunk down to under five foot tall by that point, just hunched over. And my sister was caring for her by that time. And she had just moved out of uh, of her house and in with my sister, but she was, you know, otherwise, you know, normal spirits and didn't think much of it. And I wanted to get her on the show, and I did. I was able to get her, call her up for Mother's Day, and I, I post this segment on my Facebook page, the Jeff Mans, and Facebook.com/slash the Jeff Mans. You guys could go. It's a public post, and I played the audio. I still have the audio from it um, from that day. And, you know, I was able to talk to her and uh, you could see or you could hear the joy in her voice. She loved it. When I told her I was going to be on the radio, my mom flipped out. My mom was never impressed with anything I ever did and impressed with anything my, my brothers and sisters ever did. Just wasn't her style. She, she was one of the people that you may find it ironic, but that I constantly bitch about and talk about where she always thought everything negative was always going to happen. Everything bad was always going to happen. She was very defeatist. My mom suffered from depression, massive manic depression. And I've talked about that in previous episodes too. So um, I had her on the show and I, it, you know, it didn't, it was a good appearance. You know, we talked uh, and had some fun and some laughs and got to tell her I loved her and all that stuff on the air and you know i thought it was great this is this is a wonderful thing to do well less than a week i think a week later my mom had a fall there and we were worried about like her bones were still so brittle she had like fractures on her sternum and things like that um but mostly her blood pressure was very low and her heart was in uh, you know some 
or lungs. Her, her heart was hurting because of her decreased lung capacity. So my sister being a nurse, she knew something was wrong. So we took her in the, the hospital and doctors and um, that started a, you know, realizing how desperate she was at that point, how much care she needed at that time. And with the hunching over her lungs, she had constant lung infections. Like the, the bad things in your lung, lungs wouldn't exhale. They wouldn't, they were just sitting there and getting infected. And so she needed to do breathing exercises and all this. Uh, she passed away just two months after that radio appearance, two months after the fall on, in July of 2011. So in July, it'll be 10 years since I lost my mom. And that's sort of rekindled some memories. And a couple of weeks ago, I had a dream in which I was with her, you know, and we were talking about things in modern day, you know, and I had moved, I've moved to Arizona. My family's moved to Arizona. Um, my kids have grown up and, and everything like that. And we were talking as if she had known all that, you know, and I, I don't know. I woke up feeling like she was still there like she was alive, like she was still a part of my life. And I can't tell you last time, you know, I am an incomplete person. I've talked about this before. I know I suffer from some depression issues myself. And as much as I don't show it, I, I think I'm pretty good at controlling it because I identify it. I understand when I'm starting to get go into doldrums, this isn't me. It's this, this thing that's taken over. It's, it's a warm blanket, but I felt good. And I felt complete. And, and it was like a couple hours after waking up till I realized that it was all a dream. It, was, it wasn't true. And man, that really, I think that's been sort of haunting me for the last couple of weeks. I really do. And it really manifested on Mother's Day um, th this past year. So that, and that's why I wanted to do this episode and talk a little bit about my mom and reminisce and you know, discuss her a little bit. Cause I, I think my mom's a, a very interesting character um, obviously in my life, but I think there's a lot to learn from her from the outside too. And she grew up in pretty good situation. My, my grandparents on that side, much different than my grandparents on my dad's side. My mom's side is actually pretty decent. They, yeah, my father, our grandfather worked at the railroads and my grandmother never worked a day in her life. My grandmother comes from um, some, some money, you know, there's some money on that side of the family. So like my grandparents were always pretty well to do. My grandparents also hated us. Oh, my whole life, my grandparents on that side, I never knew my grandparents on my father's side, my grandmother's side or my mom's side, they hated me. Like me and my dad would go over to my grandparents' house, cut the grass, rake the leaves, shovel the dry, whatever. And I've told the story before. They, my grandma wouldn't, wouldn't let us in her house. We were just workers. She would set out a, either a can or a, a bottle of beer for my dad and a 7-Up for me. And she'd set it outside the door. And that was our, I guess, payment or whatever. That's all. That's what we did. That's how we had – we weren't allowed to do – anything go in the house or anything. So it was random. I, and my grandparents always taught me the phrase children should be seen and not heard. Well, you know, we'll get back to my grandparents a little bit later on, but that my mom was in a well-to-do situation. They were very uppity. They were snobs for the most part. I remember there was a dinner party when I was like, I don't know, five years old. And 
I had a lemon meringue pie. Well, I was sick. I didn't feel good going to the party. And my one of my, I think my sister was supposed to babysit me, but then she didn't show up because my brothers and sisters are all older than me. I ate part of a lemon meringue pie and I threw up at my grandparents' dinner party. And my grandmother fucking went nuts. Ballistic on me, ballistic on my parents, kicked my parents and me out of the party in front of all her friends and fellow and different family members. I get fucking embarrassing because of how rotten I was. Again, I was five or six years old. It's my, they, not a great situation in my opinion. Now, probably to the outside people, um, pretty good. My parents ended up, or grandparents bought a big house in like Elmhurst, Illinois. You know, the, the rich suburbs at that point where we still lived in the city. And it was a different experience. And my mom, I could, I, for best, I never talked to her about this, never really got the full story, but she went to Catholic school growing up and, but she never identified with my grandmother either. Grandmother was just mean, just mean person. And she wasn't nice to um, my mom. My mom was the second, she was the middle child of three and uh, basically had to do all the housework. She did all, she was like, fucking Cinderella, like cooking and cleaning and doing everything for my grandmother, my grandmother who never worked, by the way, because my grandfather um, was well off and did the railroad. Now, my grandfather eventually went blind, got hit by a uh, run over by a a car, one of the railroad cars. Um, He was an engineer on it and something happened. It was an accident and it lost most of his vision later on in life. And so he was home a lot. My mom would have to do everything for him. Long, you know, long story short, my dad came, my dad is, uh, I talked about previous podcasts was a guy from the wrong side of the track, super dirt poor, grew up on a farm bat, you know, out there in rural DuPage County and uh, terrible family, alcoholism, just fucking terrible. My dad went out, got in a service. Well, what ended up happening best I have pieced together is when my dad got out of the service, his, my dad left the Navy during um, the Korean war, which he was uh, active in uh, because his father had died while he was away and he never got to say goodbye. My dad went into depression. La la la. He met my mom. I think he knocked her up very, very soon. And like they, this was, they were not like, you know, soulmates or anything like that. They had my brother uh, right after like, I mean, soon they didn't date very long. They didn't know her. My mom got the fuck out of her house because she couldn't stand it anymore. My uncle was very well respected and did very well in life. And it was, you know, all this good stuff. My mom wasn't. And she got out and she started, she had a family with my dad. And, you know, it's the essence of marriage where they made it work despite like both hating and loving each other throughout their 30 plus years of marriage, you know? Um, so anyway, so she got, she got knocked up right away. Um, I think she was shit. I don't even know. Uh, yeah, she was 20, I guess she was 19 when she got pregnant 20 or she was still 19 when my brother was born. Um, and, and all that. And so they're, 
they started, they, they moved out, moved, got an apartment and that began the man's family. That, that was the, the start and they made it work. My mom worked full-time at a grocery store. I think that's where they met. My dad worked at a grocery store. My mom worked at a grocery store. Then they both worked after my brother was born. And then after my sister was born, literally nine months later, 10 months later, um, Irish twins, as we call it, that was the end of my mom working for a while my dad worked and made a pretty good living did well in the grocery business for a while um they ended up having four kids by the time they were 30 years old uh and you know we're living a pretty good decent enough life until i came along now i came along real late i was um by the time i was born i mean my mom was in her late 30s i've told the story before uh that I'll backtrack. My mom was good at raising kids. She was a good mom, right? She was very good. My mom and dad, from what my brothers and sisters tell me before I was around, they had dinner parties, you know, they, they were, were decent and well-respected. That's a, for the problems that my mom and dad have and my mom being a depressed person and never getting, my mom never got to live her life. She got the fuck out of her life. She didn't like the ups. She didn't like the uppityness. She didn't identify with my grandmother. Didn't see eye to eye with my grandmother, her mom. And and she got the fuck out and all that. The, thing, the one thing my mom and dad shared is they were really good people, meaning they didn't achieve much in life, but they treated everybody with respect and class and dignity. And it wasn't, I told the story about my dad's funeral and just the hundreds of people showing up, random people that he worked with for a couple of weeks and how he touched all them. My mom was very similar. My mom wasn't as open or outgoing as my dad, but she, to the people that got into the inner circle, she was always very respectful. She always was very nice. And my parents made a lot of friends around our neighborhoods on the South side of Chicago growing up. And, you know, my brothers and sisters had a different life than I did because they were uh, uh, always, we were popular, I guess, in, in far as the community is concerned, even though we weren't well off. We didn't have money or nothing, but we had the respect of the neighborhood. Now, where I come from and where my parents raised their family, that was that's a big deal. You know, and that's why you see that in me a lot of times and I talk about it. it it's a big deal to me too. You gotta understand where people come from and and make the most of your situations, things you can control. So they were always good and the raised kids and uh a lot of good stories my brothers and sisters tell about growing up. Now, again, my oldest brother is not, he was born 19 years uh, before I was. He was 19 when I was born or, or 18 when I was born, 19 after. And then my other, my sister is 18 years or he was, she was 17 at the time when I was born, turned 18 the month after. And, uh, and so on and so forth. My other brother was born, um, 12 years before I was and uh, and then my sister 11 years before I was so I was so far I was late my mom was 39 years old when she had me and the story goes. and this is another thing this is like be careful to your kids everybody be because something that scarred me is the the story is that she told everybody I was a tumor my mom said she was my mom was a drama queen too by the way very drama queen um big time and so raising a family everything and she got pregnant at 38 she was 38 she had me at 39 
And she said, it told everybody, everybody said I was a tumor, 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 tumor. And they thought my mom was dying or in treatment. And she, even, even my dad and my, and my brother and sisters didn't know for a while. And then they realized like this growing, it's not a fucking tumor. And so um, I was born, you know, of, uh, <laughs> I was born in late seventies and uh, it was a big shock and big difference to the family. And we were in such a different spot. And unfortunately, as the late 70s go, like my dad lost his job. My mom couldn't get work and did what she could. My brothers and sisters, you have four kids in their teenage years, were all just a mess. I mean, getting in trouble and doing as kids did and put a big toll on my mom. And she would lose it. She was losing her mind. She was losing her mind before being pregnant with me my sister tells stories um at times my my mom would uh, get suicidal she would um never do it or attempt it but she used to for some reason would tell my sister she was going to kill herself both my sisters and i guess one time she uh pretended to hang herself in a closet while my sister to get my sister to do something and my sister went and ran for the neighbors to get help and when she came back my mom was like what what are you talking about so really a, a mental fucking with and awful i mean just awful the these those stories um and it spoke to the depression and you know living a whole life that she didn't bargain for and she didn't plan for and she didn't want and you know, it, it was a big struggle. My, my parents fought. My parents separated at times. My mom would leave and go, you know, she lived in a car. She lived in a, in a hotel room, She, you know, for like a, a day or two days. And then she'd come back. And that stuff I remember even as a kid. It really started, though. I think the, I think the pregnancy having me was a, a real difference, a, a real change in our entire family. I wasn't expected. And, um I wasn't part of the plan and I took a financial toll and then inflation in the late seventies, my dad losing his job, my mom having to go back to work, my grandparents never accepting of my father or any of my brothers and sisters just thought this was another fuck up by my mom. Yet my mom still had to go and clean the house and do all that shit. My dad had to take care of it. And, uh, you know, I wasn't resented and, but it, it was pretty obvious that having me so late in life back in those days, it just, nobody did that. Nobody in my parents' age had kids that late. It's much more common now to have kids in your late 30s and early 40s, but that was, it was unheard of back then. So, um, you know, growing up for me, no picnic. I'm not going to sit here and, uh, and give you that. I'm sure I'll do it in doses in future episodes. But uh, it, it took a big toll on my mom and it took a toll on the marriage. It took a toll on my family. It took a toll on everybody uh, big time. And uh, specifically, you know, my dad had to do odd jobs. My mom found the jobs driving the bus. And that's something that she really enjoyed and she found happiness. It was always weird for me to go on the bus. By the way, my mom drove a school bus for handicapped children and it's was absolutely amazing for me to see my mom she was oh it was always fighting with my brothers and sisters with my dad with her parents right she always would fight always in arguments always always things happening 
And then she'd get on the bus and she'd drag me along. And imagine, so by the way, imagine growing up in elementary school and even junior high school and being dropped off on the short bus. From, but it's your mom. I'm not supposed to drive the short bus, but that was my ride to school. Right. So yeah, imagine, yeah, that I grew up in that environment. Exactly. You guys know you made fun of me, you fuckers. You got you made fun of people who rode the short bus, which um you know not my way and something that is sensitive to me. But my mom was happy. She loved those kids. And I, I mean she showed them more attention. She worked overtime, she worked summers. She didn't need to work in the summer. She volunteered for hours in the summer, both because we needed a financial, but even after my dad found work eventually, and um and, and you know, she didn't have to work. She enjoyed it. Like I said, she enjoyed listening to that radio, but she enjoyed those kids. And something I learned after she passed away is in reflecting on my mom, she, I think she always felt like an outsider herself. She felt like an outsider in her family. That's, that's apparent. She didn't really want, she didn't have a lot to do. We didn't go to my grandparents much. We'd go to my uncle's house for like Christmas and Thanksgiving. And my uncle, sweetheart man would always provide food and everything for all of us, you know, like a, a nice big party, always real nice, but he wouldn't help financially. And he was, uh, he was pretty well off, but never helped my parents financially. Um, I, although I don't think my parents ever asked to be honest, cause he probably would have, I, I don't know the dynamics of it, but uh, you know, I, I know that I think my mom understood the handicapped kids. She understood they were back then they were called BDs behavior disorder, but she drove wheelchair kids. Uh, two, two, four was the bus in my family. It still means a lot to my family that two, two, four number, because that was my mom. She drove for Septron she drove for uh, United school bus district. She drove for the, she drove for several of them, but um, she loved those kids. And it, it was remarkable watching and as I grew up seeing kids that you could tell the parents were screaming and yelling bad seemingly bad kids you know by the time I was sort of seven eight years old you kind of get you kind of know oh shit this is uh this is a bad kid this is a troublemaker kid uh this is a good kid you could tell the difference you'd see a bad kid come on the bus and do bad things right and then but my mom would talk to them, have a conversation, somehow calm them down. They'd be fucking crazy. I remember watching a kid bang his fist against the window of the bus and shatter the glass. And it was like heavy duty glass on those buses with like reinforced steel cages around buses out the window. My mom was just so calm and reassuring and, and talked him down and, and got him to calm down and, you know, and another memory I have, uh, she drove to the Markland home often out there in far west suburban Elgin, Illinois, and the Markland home where, um, you know, the, the wheelchair kids, behavior disorder, and um, just an you know, organization that I've always been fond of because I remember growing up there and doing that, but they've done amazing work. And I remember a wheelchair girl, I was young and I can't remember what age it was, but um, 
real sweet girl. And I used to talk to her while riding around on the bus and all that. And she was great at making cassette tapes. And I remember she made me a cassette tape, right. And, and she did a, uh, it was John Fogarty. It was boys of summer. It was a bunch of like a couple John Fogarty songs and things like that. And I love this tape. Oh my God. I fucking love this tape. It was the greatest thing uh, ever. And she'd made it for me. And, you know, it's just something I thought about. She actually, uh, this girl, much older now, was probably seven, eight years old. She was probably age, you know, seven, 16, 17, 18 years old. At that point, she lived directly across the street from the high school, which I would eventually go to. And there was a ramp. My mom would drop her off from the high school and get out and wheel her into the house and talk to her parents and all that. That's another thing. My parents, my mom always had a relationship with the parents of these kids as well and help them in dealing with them and say, you know, whether it's through music or games, she would play games like, you know, Hey, she would distract them, you know, Hey, when they're really mad, these kids are really upset. My mom would come up with games like, Hey, I'm thinking I spy with my little eye, something, you know, yellow and we're driving and it would get the kids out of whatever was upsetting them. Um, yeah, it's getting me emotional a little bit here because she was great with those kids and those kids meant a lot to her. They meant a lot to me. And, you know, lo and behold, um, I don't talk about it often. My brother, uh, I have a brother, older brother who's severely disabled. He's a dwarf and was born with uh, dwarfism and some cognitive disabilities as well, learning disorders and stuff like that. And, you know, I wonder if that's what changed my mom or was that always in her heart or whatever, but um, being accepting of people, people with shortcomings and people that don't have the means and the abilities you do is something that's very important to me. It's something that means a lot to me because my parents always were, and my mom always was. She was just the sweetest. She didn't judge you if you were in a wheelchair. You had, you know, a uh, disability. You know, she understood it. She got it, and she treated you like a person. She treated those kids like people. She helped their parents like that, and it was a different world. It re she really was different on that school bus than she would be than at home where I think she felt inadequate or she felt bad or she, you know, whatever depression and things she had, she didn't feel adequate. Uh, I think in a lot of ways, you know, and I know that now as an older adult, I never knew it obviously growing up. I was just too young, but that it means a lot to me. And, it, you know, have watching, uh, I'll eventually do a show about my brother sometime, tell the stories about him. But, you know, I was a young kid walking around, with him and when people i mean i i remember being at kmart and people would people like threw a, a slushy at him you know what i mean like i i never under, and would yell things you know say midget and things like that scream it and it was just the uh worst fucking thing ever to go through and not knowing why because my brother is a fucking god to me you want to talk about and my brothers and sisters were great to me because my parents were so old and had their own fucking problems that every one of my brothers and sisters helped raise me in a very significant way. Nobody better than my, my brother, David, who, uh, you know, was always there for me. We talked about white Sox games. I grew up going to white Sox games and things. I mean, who brought me it was my brother and he go to the South side of Chicago, walk in with a disability in 1983, 
you know, it just was uh, everybody's eyes would stare at him and every, you know, they'd be yelling things and being mean and, you know, and it, it never would face him. And, you know, it, it bothered my mom. My mom would shoot back whenever she was around. But, um, you know, I, I think that she learned from having a son with disability a lot and she knew what the parents were going through and she was able, she just had an understanding and she identified with it. And it's really why I want to do the show for you guys here today, because I think it's, it's a bigger thing. I, I think that, you know, I, I will say this, um, just tapping into my family's history and things like that. I, I'm not a religious person. I'm not a, uh, I, you know, I'm not a very, I'm not one. I'm just not, you know, not, I've never been, even though my, my mom used to make me go to a Catholic mass with my next door neighbor who, uh, when we moved out to the suburbs, my neighbor was a priest. He was a priest, uh, an assistant priest. And she would make me go. She would send me to Catholic mass on Saturday nights where he would do the mass. She would send me then with the, their family, with the neighbor family. She wouldn't go, even though she went to Catholic school and was pretty religious. Uh, I, I didn't know it, but it was it's just a weird dynamic. But what I'm getting to is this. I was raised in this environment and my father went through a lot with cancer. My mom went through a lot with her family and depression. My brother's disabled. My Having a kid at age 39 and my mom, you know, smoked and drank during the pregnancy, um, you know, during the pregnancy with me, I'm pretty sure she didn't really want to have another kid. We couldn't afford it, you know, all that. And again, she would never say that nobody ever says it, but it's the truth. Yet I, I was born. Uh, I was a, a, in gifted student programs, a good deal of my life. Now I was a shitty elementary school student, but uh, I used to, I've won all kinds of reading awards. I won math awards. I won spelling bees, uh, even though my grades weren't very good because some of the teachers didn't like me, but um, I would test always very, very high and out of my grade all the time. People don't know I was the valedictorian in my college graduation class. I don't talk about that very often. I'm also six foot three, was very athletically gifted as well. Um, well, stop bragging, man. I'm not bragging. I promise you, I believe that there was divine intervention. I believe that I was given gifts in my life because of what my family went through. I, I just believe it. I, cause there was no other way, right? There's just no, my brother makes a joke because uh, I was allergic to onions growing up and nobody identified it. We didn't know food allergies or anything. So they would make me eat onions and I'd have like heart palpitations and sweats and stuff. So eventually when I got old enough, um, I would eat chicken patties. My brother still says in like when I was 13 to 15 or 13 to 16, I would eat fucking chicken patties three times a week that I would make myself. Uh, and my brother says, that's why I grew so tall and got so big. And he still play. He's like, it's the chemicals in those chicken patties because I became the tall. My dad was big. He was six, two. My grandfather was tall. He was six three, but so I would take after them. So, but you know, I got to be much taller than my brothers and sisters, and again, athletically gifted and uh, all of that stuff. Uh, I, I I was blessed, and again, did I work hard? You no, know, not as an early kid. I was smart without ever working hard. 
And I don't know how or why, but it was given to me. It's a blessing that I got, I believe, to take care of my family and to take care of my brother, to take care of my sister, to remember my mother, to remember my father. I, I believe in that. And that's, you know, again, why I'm doing the show now is I was, I, I became, um, I've told the story about getting beat up in seventh grade and, you know, having to move to different sides of town because I, you know, I didn't identify with a lot of kids growing up, but by the time I got to high school, I became immensely popular. When I played sports, I got tall, um, was a hit with the ladies, uh, you know, and, and dad had a six pack abs for, you know, without trying kind of thing, just because I like sports, you know, all just, I was lucky very lucky, but I always, I was popular in school because we, I could supply alcohol and, and drugs, but uh, the, I just got along with everybody. I, I learned lessons. Lessons I've learned in my life is about uniting people, I believe, and, you know, understanding what's inside of everybody, that everybody has certain talents, whether outside you look great or don't look great, whether you're physically inclined or not, whether you're mentally inclined or not, it's all doesn't fucking matter, guys. It doesn't matter, right? What matters is every person you know has a gift. Some people are artistically inclined some are not some are great at math some are not some are great at spelling or reading and some are not and some people are athletic and some are not some people uh, have a beautiful speaking voice and some are not you know it's but there's strengths inside of all of us there's also deficiencies and you can look to dwell on those deficiencies i think my mom did that a lot i think she felt that growing up and she it personified itself because how fucking poor we were and you know how, how much her depression got a hold of her. She didn't have a good relationship with her family at all and all of that. So um, remember it, but you know, she, she felt good to take care of those kids and those handicapped kids and they loved her. She loved them. And it was such an important part of her life and an important part of my upbringing and, realized you know that everybody something special about everybody we could choose to find the negative it's also something negative about everybody every person right brad pitt's brad pitt takes really smelly dumps i heard that just terrible terrible messy gross dumps uh, uh, that's why jennifer anderson left him. it's terrible and angelina jolie it's all about his dirty dirty shits i have no basis for that i'm just saying who knows he's got to right i mean there's no way his shit smell clean as a rose there's no way <laughs> come on you can't be that handsome and have everything going for you no it doesn't have there's always a short side there's always right and um i think that's just an important lesson but anyway uh growing up riding the bus my mom radio she loved it i got my timing from that i got my love of the white Sox. she loved the white Sox. 1959 go go white Sox. i'm in my office recording this podcast and right next to me directly to my right is 1959 uh autograph uh 1959 program team photo um luis aparicio nelly fox something i got for her um i don't know 2000 and Five, 2006, I think. Yeah, it's two. Oh, no, it was uh, 2007 because it was two years after the 05 team won the World Series. And uh, so it's the 59 and 05 team. 
um, with a bunch of autographs and programs and ticket stubs to the World Series and the whole thing nicely in a frame. It's, it's a, just a tremendous thing to give to her. She cried when I gave it to her. And um, after she passed, obviously, I hang at my office right next to me all the time. She loved that. She loved the White Sox. And, you know, we grew up on the South side and this, that was our team. And so my love of the White Sox specifically, I'm a Bears fan. I'm a Bulls fan because I'm from Chicago on a team I grew up with. The White Sox are different. They are my blood. They're my life. They're my family, the organization, the ballpark, the neighborhood. That's what I am, right? It's just, I, I have such a, such a visceral connection with that organization and franchise that um, that's they're my team. They'll always be my team. There's nothing that can be done about it as much as they piss me off in recent memory doing well this year, but you know, listen to those games and listen to Hawk Harrelson and Don Drysdale and then Tom Pashorek and Gary Thorne. Yeah. He used to do white Sox before Orioles, uh, you know, listen to them and, and Ed Farmer on the radio, who was a South sider, um, that's how I grew up. And that's my affinity. That's where my love of sports. When I was a terrible at sports early, again, four, five, six years old, I was really bad, but my whole neighborhood played baseball all the time. And I was terrible. My mom's the one who took me out and played. She played catching me. She threw a league ball, hit me in the fucking face over and over and over. That's why you're so ugly. Yes. Funny, funny, probably. But it, I learned how to, pick my glove up. I learned how to catch the ball, catch a ball or get hit in the face and get, you know, she didn't take it easy on me, but she's the one that taught me. You know, she was sneaky, athletically inclined, you know, probably my dad was a high school star and um, I had a famous kickoff return of state playoff football game for Glumbard West high school um, back in the day. And uh, so they, they were pretty athletically inclined and my brothers and sisters never were for whatever reason. Um, but I got that side of it and I love sports and she taught me that she taught me my love of sports radio and the white Sox, and and empathy towards others and I mean that's that's the things that my mom had uh had always taught me and that's things that I hopefully stand for to this day and when I don't when I fuck up and I treat people mean or wrong it's funny you don't have to tell me I'm being an asshole my mom's in my head telling me I'm an asshole, right? And always, always will be. And, you know, I, that's the thing. You dream of them. You, you picture your mom and dad in your head, and you're like, fuck, they'd be real ashamed of that. I, I wrote on my Facebook page that you know, she's with me everywhere I go and everything I do, and I try to make her proud. And it, it goes beyond just, whoa, you're on the radio. Being on the radio – is people ask me this. I don't talk about it very much, but I have been, I've done three TV pilots in my life. I've been offered um, a TV gig as a regular, not a, a host in Jute, but to travel to and from Florida one time, Los Angeles another time. Um, Florida, of course, when I lived in Arizona and LA when I lived in Chicago. So at shitty times in my life. And, um, Turned them down, you know. It wasn't. It wasn't like over. Listen, if they pay me a million dollars an episode, fucking, you bet, bet your ass I'm there. But it wasn't. You know, it wasn't. I I am doing what I want. I love doing the radio show. I am at peace and I am whole 
went on that show. This podcast is very similar. I feel good about it. I feel proud of it. Um, I think my mom would be proud. I think my dad would be proud. My mom loved listening to me on the radio. We got her a serious XM radio. Again, she only got to hear me for about six months, right? And uh, it's it's disappointing. She didn't get to see me to see. Uh, I got major industry industry awards, uh, nominated alongside of like Mike and Mike in the morning back, you know, in the day. I've had a lot of nice little accolades that she never got to see. And uh, bummer. But again, I feel close to her when doing it. I feel close to her when broadcasting. I feel that. I also identify with people out there that are listening, especially in your cars and people at work and truckers. And it's what I what would I want to hear about it here? What would I like somebody discussing when I was listening back in those days? What would my mom tune in for? What would get her riled up, right? You know what I mean? Like, those are the things I think about all the time. And this is what I want to be doing. I like writing. I like analyze. I love playing fantasy sports. I do just a passion, but the broadcasting, this is where I feel whole. This is what I, uh, this is where I want to be. I don't really aspire to anything else. Hosting a television show. I was in a documentary film or, you know, any of that, anything like that. I mean, again, not like the, they're knocking down the doors to get in the Jeff Mann's business, but I don't have those aspirations anymore. I'm doing what I love and I want to do it for as long as I possibly can because this is home. This is what I like and I enjoy doing. I think this is where uh, I make my mom most proud too, to be quite honest with you. So um, that's why it's important to me. That's why it's not, not a job. It's not just like, oh, I'm going to make tons of, I'm going to make so much money. I didn't make fucking anything. I didn't get paid. When I had my mom on the show, that soundbite, I didn't get paid a nickel for that. Not, not anything uh, at all, you know? Uh, so uh, it's not about any of that stuff. It, it's not. And I think that's where doing what you love and doing and being who you are is more important. I was going to do, I'm going to do a podcast about parenthood and parenting. People have asked me a lot of questions. And I say that to all your kids out there too. For those of you who maybe have new new boys and girls and um, brought kids in the world or your kids are growing up and, you know, parenting's hard. I always say, just make sure you're nurturing with who they are. Remember that they have, they're different. They're not you, right? My son is as close to me at that age as his age is, uh, you could possibly imagine, but I've, I had this conversation with my wife two days ago. I'm not, I'm never pushing him. I'm just not going to do it. I don't coach his little league teams, not because I wouldn't love to, or I don't have ideas. I, I coach him. I watch him. I want him. I'll, I'll help. Always. I'm, I'm that, that father. That's always helping the coach and the coach needs me to coach first base or keep score or go put the bases in or dust off the play. I'm there. I'll do it but I'm not going to, I don't need any of the attention and I don't want to take it off him. I don't want to, if he doesn't like sports, I don't care. When he was very young, he liked matchbox cars. And that's that. My daughter's um, one's pre-law student, loves law, loves, loves contracts and things like that. Awesome. The other one is an absolute drama queen. I think she should be an actress, but she's not into it, but she loves like taking care of kids. She is very much my middle daughters, like my mom in so many ways. And it's, it's like, I see it. I, I say it sometimes I I'm raising my mom, you know, in, in a lot of ways because uh, of how empathetic and compassionate 
my daughter is. So, you know, every kid's different. Every person's different. Their strengths and weaknesses. And again, this is the, my mom taught me that. And if I could connect with one of you out there listening, it will have been worth burning this entire episode on it, talking about it. Um, especially those less fortunate. You know, that's something we've done a lot, uh, really well in our society. People don't realize how terrible it was for my brother growing up in the 70s and 80s. Like it was fucking 60s for him, 70s and 80s. It's just people make it fun of people with disabilities. You know, they said retard and they would do the hands for people with cerebral palsy. I mean, my mom drove for people with cerebral palsy. And a lot of people had the hand gestures and things like that. And, uh, you know, I've laughed at jokes, I'm sure, inappropriately in my life, but you never caught me doing the hand gestures and things like that. Again, and I'm not judging you if you did. I, that, no, I just know it. I've been, I've lived it, right? Just like cancer. I know how fucking brutal it is. Not just, you know, my own little battle, but my dad for 12 years battling it, or seven years, I'm sorry, eight years battling cancer. Um, I know what it does. And having those experiences makes me more empathetic, I think, to people in that realm. Uh, other things, you know, my mom and dad always love Christmas. I, I love Christmas beyond comprehension. My family laughs at me because I make it. Last year in 2020, we started in October. I'll probably start in October forever. I love it. You know, one of the greatest times with my mom was she would stare at the Christmas tree and she would listen to Perry Como's greatest hits. And first track of that, I, I could, I know every track from start to finish was uh was the night before Christmas. She'd listen to that. And then it would be C H R I S T M A S. The, uh, they'd spell it phonet, um The Christmas C is for the Christ child born upon this day. I know the whole thing. She just sit there and watch the Christmas tree and watch the lights and she wouldn't talk. And if I talk, if I would come in there and snuggle with her or I, you know, when I was older, I'd come in there and sometimes I'd sit like in a different chair and just be like, this is fucking boring, you know? But as I got older, I feel close to her then. And she just liked it. She just, it was a serene moment. And my mom went all out and made Christmas is amazing. She would, she's the most innovative gift giver you'll ever see. We were not wealthy ever in my entire life growing up. But she made Christmas. We always got presents. We got like an abundance of presents. And she would just figure it out. It could be a, a fucking straw, right? But my mom would have something behind it. Like, oh, this straw was, you know, Ron Kittle drank out of the straw. And again, this never happened. But I'm saying she would make the most of everything in and around Christmas. And um, it, it was just, just where my love for that holiday comes from as well um and then you know I, I, what happened around the end there is some the story around my mom was um you know, we finally when i went off to school i didn't go off i stayed and lived with my parents but i was going to roosevelt university at the time um and then i got i went to College of DuPage in DuPage, Illinois. And then I got sick. I had to take medical withdrawal. Or I no, I went to there. Then I went to Roosevelt. Then I had the medical withdrawal. Then I had to go back and then re-up later on. And you know, um, 
my parents were finally empty nesters or not empty nesters because I still lived there. My brother, my disabled brother lived with my mom his entire life too. Um, you know, I think she was very overprotective of him and she didn't trust him on his own and all that kind of stuff. And it wasn't until she passed that, uh, you know, I set my brother up and, you know, helped have helped him. That's why he moved to Arizona with me when I moved and everything else. I'm his primary caregiver and, you know, we're super close, but he does live alone because he's capable, you know, he, he really is and needs help with things. But again, we all do. I fucking, I need help with, uh, <laughs> my wife does have three quarters of shit for me. So without that, I probably wouldn't feed myself quite honestly. Um, but when my dad got cancer, my mom and dad's relationship was really rocky until uh, the 90s. And I got older. And then I, I don't even think they liked each other up until that point. And then my dad got sick and, and my dad was a major alcoholic. Then he put the booze down. And it's like my, I got to see my parents fall in love all over again for the first time ever. They it grew really close. And when he passed away in 1999, um, it, my dad passed away. I had, I was back in school about like a year away from graduating and I had gotten engaged to my girlfriend at that time, my wife, and we had bought a house far Western suburbs. We were moving an hour away. All right. And that was a tough thing. Um, I had, I was also my dad's caregiver. Uh, I used to have to give him shots all the time. That's why I talk about vaccinations like, yeah, shut the fuck up. Take your shot. A shot is nothing. I used to have to give my old man shots twice a day, every fucking day. Uh, but I, you know, I was moving away and, oh, and by the way, a side note, my mom who never got along with her parents, who's my grandmother was a complete, just a mean, mean person, rotten person. My grandfather passed away in 1991. Okay. And a couple of years later, so my mom had to take care of her mom. That was devastating for her and hard. And my grandmother hadn't, she didn't legitimately didn't know how to cook food, wash, clean. I mean, my grandmother was absolutely uh, 60, whatever she was at that time. I think she's probably 70 year old person that didn't know how to function it all in life. So we ended up having to do anything. Long story short, my grandmother moved in with us. I had to change my grandmother's diapers, right? She took over the big bedroom downstairs. My parents moved into the smallest bedroom in the house. Me and my brother lived upstairs and we would have to take care. My mom had to care for my grandmother. So she had to do all that for my grandmother. I still hear her. I'd come home from school, Jeffrey. She'd be screaming out. She'd need something. I'd have to run in and, and, uh, and take care of her. But my, again, my mom took care of my grandmother after all the, uh, how much she, I think she hated her. I do. But she take, took damn good fucking care of her, treated her with so much dignity and respect, made her every meal, bathed her, cleaned her, sat there and talked to her, uh, wrote letters to aunts and uncles and people. Um, for a while, my grandmother would have her uh, pinochle game at my parents house at that point and and her friends would come over until she was too ill and so my mom would kept the care for my dad who had cancer me who was still a punk ass kid my brother who's disabled she was working full-time at the bus driving the bus and my she's working for my grandmother or she's taking care of my grandmother like that's 
that ain't a tough life. I don't know what is. When my dad passed away, I had bought a house. I was already leaving. So my dad passed away in November of 99. I was getting married in, Ju- in June of 99. My house that I had built was uh, in ready in February of 99. It was already going. And then my grandmother passed away in January of 2000. So my dad passed away in March or in November of 99. Two months later, we had Christmas. And then two weeks into the 2000s, my grandmother passed away. And my and then I moved away. My mom, I didn't know it and never realized. She never came out to visit me uh, an hour away. I would always have to come out to her if I wanted to see her, which I did. But I started getting pissed at her for never wanting to come out and and that. But my mom was broken. It shattered her. It absolutely destroyed her to go through all that. That's something I didn't know. I didn't realize. I was in my own shit. I was sad about my father dying. Um, even my grandma, you know, I knew she had put a lot of pain into my mom and my dad and treated us like shit. But, you know, still my grandmother and I still cared for her. So she died. That hurt me, too. It was just a, a real rough patch. And my mom never recovered. Her health went to total shit. Just total shit. My sister, one sister had to always come over constantly and live, end up moving in with her eventually uh, and my brother to take care of them. But it, it was, it was bad. And I got to tell you, my mom should have lived longer. I think she died at 71. She should have lived longer. Yeah. Just before 70, oh, she was 70 just before her 71st birthday. But she she wanted to die. And I got into a massive fight because after that show that I started talking about that appearance, uh, my mom, we don't even know what happened, but she fell ill. They said she fell down, but nothing, she had a broken bone, but she always had broken bones. She ended up having to go to a, a, a hospital for a while, and then she moved into a long-term care facility, um, a nursing home. A nursing home was so bad. They, they would not care for anybody overnight. So it was so bad. I ended up living there for a couple months too, meaning I would sleep in a chair next to my mom at this facility. I used to do appearances. I would drive to the studio to do my show, and then I'd go to the, the uh, nursing home, and I'd sit there. I remember Grant Paulson used to have – shout out to my dude Grant – uh, used to have me on his used to do a baseball hit and like the evening show he used to have basically where my show is four to six and I would go out in the parking lot to do those hits on my cell phone of uh, of those baseball hits on the show and then go back in and I'd spend a night out there and again at that point you know all three kids of my I had a young son uh, it took it put a lot of stress on my marriage and my home life and all that kind of stuff, but I couldn't have my mom not cared for at all. So I'd sit there, be with her constantly. My brother's house was not too far away. So I'd go back and forth from there. And it was a real tough time. It was only a couple months. It feels like an eternity, but I watched my mom want to die. I, she just didn't want to live anymore. And she had to do breathing exercises. If she did these breathing exercises, she could have lived and she could live for who knows, 10 more years. She just didn't do them. Wouldn't do them. Didn't want to. She didn't. She had lost the will to live. 
and it's the saddest thing I've ever been through or will ever go through in my life watching that. And I had fought with my sister on me and my sister almost had a slap fight in the hospital. Cause I didn't get it. She was, my sister's a nurse. She, she sees it. She knew it. I knew I wanted to take care of my mom. I knew I should have, I should have done a better job. I should have been there for her more. I financially, I, by that time I'd sold the business, you know, in the tech sector, I'd worked for government. I had a really good job. And I was starting out just doing this fantasy thing, which made no money, by the way, I did this way before making any money. She would never see, I've made millions of dollars at this point and she never got to see it. Neither one of my parents got to see it, which is always a bummer because I could have get, got my mom the nicest facility in the world. I could have had her move in with us. You know, I, I could have got my dad the best care, my mom the best care. I, I could have done a lot of things now that I sadly couldn't do when they were sick or they needed me. And that hurts. That hurts me deeply. It upsets me deeply. But it's also what I know I need. To, my job is to take care of my family, my brothers and sisters, who also have had my sister had a lot of heart problems. My brother's disabled. Um, that's why I'm here. That's why I was not a tumor. I was a 30, yeah, born a 39-year-old woman in the 70s, which is fucking unheard of. And, you know, and that's why I was given the abilities that I was given, you know, to do those types of things. But, you know, she passed away a year after my son was born, um, almost to the day, like two weeks after my son's first birthday. But she got to hold him. She got to see her granddaughters and her grandson. And I, I think she kind of knew, like, all right, well, that's it for me. Those times at that nursing home was were painful. They were brutal. Watching the illness, watching the lack of empathy from the workers at some of these. And I'm not going to name the facilities and stuff because it it's just is what it is, right? Um, I talk about volunteering at places. I did after my dad was uh, passed away from Good Samaritan Hospital, I went and answered phones and did assistance there in the surgery section and the ICU section and wherever I could. You know, they need help. Go volunteer at a nursing home, answer phones, bring dishes or, or uh, yeah, food, uh, clean up plates or something. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you have no idea how much they need you. You have no idea. Like your time, an hour at a facility like that means the fucking world to families that desperately need it. So, and if, if not, monetary contributions always good to help facilities like that as well. Um, but, so yeah, that, I mean, that's the story. It's been 10 years, uh, you know, since that time, it, it was sad. I have pictures of my son in a nice little suit at one years old in a, at her funeral that, uh, you know, it, it's still adorable, but, it's, it's a shame. It seems like for my dad, it seems like yesterday, it's been 20 years since he died for my mom. It seems like it was 40 years ago. It, it's a weird dynamic and losing both your parents sucks in a lot of ways, but you know, I'm in my forties now. It was only uh, you know 32 when I lost my mom though, 20 when I lost my dad and those are too young. You need your parents. So remember that as you're raising your kids, remember that from a child to your parents, call them, 
be near them, if you have to move near them, do you'll never you're never going to regret the time. I promise you. Like any moment that you spent, like I, I mean, I'm telling you, it was tough on my marriage back in 2010, 2011, when I had to spend time with my mom constantly. And I would go and have to do things around my brother's house and help him out. And I, I was doing all this other stuff. And I had three young kids. I was working two jobs. You know, when's the time for my wife? God bless my wife. That's why she's a fucking saint. And, uh, but uh, even going through all that and all the stress it put on us financially and relationship wise and everything else, I wouldn't take it back for one second. The time, every moment meant the world to me and every, every single thing means the world. Every second I got to spend with her, she had a rough life and it, it wasn't wonderful, but you know, if we could, if I could just hit any one of you, to think about it and to think about your relationship with your parents, your relationship with your children, um, any, any of that kind of stuff, or just being empathetic, the, the disabled um, people with disabilities, people that are unfortunate, needy people. I think that's what I'm here for. And that's what my mom's legacy is. That's what my dad's legacy is. They always helped out. My mom made food. Every time somebody in the neighborhood got sick, or ill, my mom would make fucking like, crank out lasagnas and shit. Like <laughs> shepherd's pie and lasagnas and meatloaves. They just fucking crank those things like a factory desserts, brownie. I remember she'd hide brownies from us underneath the couches. She'd hide them because she made the brownies for a family that uh, whose dad or somebody had lost their job or, you know, a kid just got fell off his bike. Like my mom knew everything. And God bless her for that because, um, yeah, she's a better person than I'll ever be. But if I could continue to strive to be like her and to remember her in those ways, I, I think it's a, for the greater good. And also, if you're dealing with depression, uh, I've got a couple of folks, uh, those of you listen to podcasts regularly, you guys know my, uh, I'll call it my cancer group of direct messages of uh, at Jeff underscore man's on Twitter. But if you ever, if you're going through depression, bad times, tough times, um, dealing with a disabled child or friend or relative or you're disabled yourself or anything, you just want to talk. I want you to know that I'm here for you. I will do my best to give you as much time as I possibly can for that. Cause I know what you're going through. And I think that's what my mom would have wanted. I think that would that's what her legacy is. That's what my legacy through her will be. If it's uh, why the, the drama and a lot of shit, I, I don't worry about, what people I don't worry about what other people think of me uh, whether it's physically mentally or whatever I've been called you know all kinds of shit and I'm not as sharp in the DFS community I don't give a shit I care about what those people would think of me I I, I live my life what my mom what my dad what my what my family my daughters my son, my wife, what they think of me. What all of you, you guys listen to the podcast. You guys are all a part of my extended family because your support in me says something about you and my career and my radio shows and helping you win in daily fantasy or seasonal fantasy or betting or maybe you just listen to the shows for entertainment purposes or whatever. But know that it means something. And this is where it comes from and that I don't, I won't take you for granted and I won't, uh, I live by a higher meaning. I want, I'm, imp I'm trying to impress people that could never actually tell me that a boy, Jeff, you just won 250 grand. Yeah. I don't, I got nothing from that the way other people might, 
you know, congratulations mean a lot, but uh, I'm living for a different meaning. That's going to do it, everybody. This is an emotional one for me, obviously. Uh, I want to thank each and every one of you for downloads. So sticking it. If you stuck with it and you didn't just skip or fast forward, you fuckers, because uh, it's a non-sports one. What do I care? Hopefully, you guys got something from it. Hopefully, it's a deeper understanding of me. Maybe it touched something inside of you. Um, my mom, Janine Manns, she was an absolute saint and she went through a very, very hard life. It hasn't always been easy for me. I'm sure it's not been always easy for you, but you know, we are all in this together folks and times will get tough. Keep battling, keep striving, know that there's goodness inside of you. There's goodness inside of others. It's up to us to find it. It's up to us to fan those flames. It's up to us to to nurture it, to be empathetic and supportive of one another as well, no matter how different we may be. That's going to do it. Episode 65 is in the bag. Thank you guys for indulging me in this podcast. We'll be back. We'll talk NFL. The schedule's coming out. We'll talk post-NFL drafts, some fantasy football rankings. They're already posted over at fantasyguru.com. Daily fantasy sports. We've got uh, over at elitefantasy.com. Got three new tools all dropping here in the in a matter of weeks all for uh well there's football and baseball but the baseball ones will be up immediately and will help us in daily fantasy baseball every single day nothing like anything else on the market or in the world nobody has this information nobody has these tools it's the first of its kind three of them for baseball we'll have a whole plethora of them elite sports data.com that's coming soon Everybody be on the lookout. Follow me at Jeff underscore Mans on Twitter, the Jeff Mans on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and TikTok. That's going to do it. Thank you guys for uh, tuning in. Leave your comments. If you have questions, anything else, hit me up on social media, in the chat rooms, at any of the Elite Sports Network sites. Remember, you may disagree with anything or everything that you heard in today's episode. It's perfectly all right. Why? Because it was one man's opinion. See everybody. Deuces.